We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? Wait a minute. Why are we back? Why are we still doing this thing? <laughs> what happened to our vacation, Jack? You, you told me <laughs> we were going to get some time off. <laughs> work, 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 work. Yeah, I mean, it really is. I think um, there is a sense of relief that the season is over. Obviously, it was not the most enjoyable season, but we're going to jump into some off-season stuff. we got a couple mailbag questions we're going to jump into, but as always, make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do we start? We will start with C's Daddy, who had a question pertaining to Steve Nash and the assistant coaching ranks. Since it doesn't seem like Nash is going anywhere, uh, parentheses, unfortunately, do you see us hiring another veteran assistant coach similar to Dan Tony? Also, is Mark's on the hot seat and any chance of him getting fired? Nick, tackling that first question, the assistant coaching ranks. We know how how much the Dan Tony absence, and he actually spoke to Ramona Shelburne of ESPN, actually, about the series overall. Is there a chance that Dan Tony could come back or are there other names that, you know, sort of spring to mind? It seems unlikely he would be back because he essentially kind of left for no reason. I think if he wanted to be in, you know, a non-assistant coach role where he didn't have to sit on the bench but still have input on the team, I think the Nets would have worked with him to allow him to do that. So maybe there was a reason he wanted to leave or maybe he just wanted a different challenge. I definitely think the Nets should, you know, attack veteran head coaches on the market, especially guys that were recently fired or part of staffs that will likely be, you know, cleaned up when a new head coach comes in. Guy that comes to mind, I mentioned as soon as it happened, Frank Vogel. You know, obviously, I think he'd probably take a year off from being a head coach. I could see him coming in and being an assistant coach, obviously known for his defense, an area where the Nets really struggle. Uh, Terry Stotts is another guy. David Fisdale potentially leaving L.A. if that staff is cleaned up. Uh, Steve Clifford, obviously part of the Nets. Maybe he wants to take on a bigger role. There have been some connections with him, you know, taking on a head coaching role elsewhere. Phil Handy, if he does leave L.A., you know, like I said, I think their staff could end up getting cleaned out if they bring in a new guy. Dave Yeager could be another guy. Alvin Gentry, James Borrego. You know, Quinn Snyder could seem possible, but it seems unlikely given he'll probably get another job just how he's valued around the league. Yeah, I'd prefer him to replace our current head coach, to, <laughs> to be totally fair. Yeah, a few other names that I've, I've seen around the wings, you know, Sam Cassell, you know, currently in Philadelphia. And a name that I think a lot of people have been advocating for, former Brooklyn then himself, Jared Dudley, who, you know, has some ties to Steve Nash as well. So that I, I would have 
I would certainly not be against the idea of, of bringing Jared Dudley in, who's obviously currently with Dallas and, and Jason Kidd. And you know, just the, the leadership and communication that he does bring, I think he'd be a nice little mesh if you know, Joe Sy, who has thrown the bag at the assistant coaches before, you know, Jacques Vaughn, highest paid assistant coach in the league when that um, announcement was made. You know, if he continues to put his money where his mouth is, it, it's going to help the Nets in, a, in an area that is certainly needed. I will also say that this question uh, we did get uh, was from Keen, who asked about, you know, S- S- Steve Nash, uh, Keen on Twitter, sorry, uh, and Mike D'Antoni in terms of uh, assistant coaches in, in relation to that. So, Nick, in, you, we've mentioned a, a lot of names, and I'm sure listeners will, will feel one way or another about it. In terms of the names that we have talked about, which ones stick out to you? Yeah, I think um, just before I jump to that, it's also difficult to determine who's available with assistant coaches. You know, there's no real like a website you can go to, you know, free agent assistant coaches right now. So it's like, like you said, you know, their contract runs up. Can Joe Sy throw the bag at them? Are they interested in being an assistant head coach? Do they want to take a year off? There's a lot of different variables. And obviously they're not the hot topic of the NBA. So you're not really going to know much about them. Um, I think if I had one guy that I'd... Mm, that's tough. I mean, I, I really like Frank Vogel. I think given he's a, a veteran, he's done some real good things defensively. But also, I thought James Borrego did a good job in Charlotte with what they had in there, especially given their limited options. And it's hard to know exactly what type of role they would have on the net staff. But also, Phil Handy's a guy I feel like we've talked about a lot in the past of being a potential head coach on this team. He has strong relationship with Kyrie Irving, which could be helpful in the long run for the Nets, especially if he does get that max contract extension. You want to have a guy in his corner. You know, we talked about a lot in the past is a lot of the assistant coaches have been brought here for Kevin Durant. Maybe it's important to bring someone in for Kyrie Irving to make him feel more comfortable and help kind of keep him in check to an extent, you know, hold him accountable, especially a guy like Handy who has that relationship with him yeah i think that the the names you alluded to if you have frank vogel as you know look this is an ideal world frank vogel is just sort of defensive coordinator i.e you know Ime Udoka style and you got james borrego as your offensive coordinator coordinator i.e mike d'antoni style then you're in a pretty good spot you know yep. a guy like lord pierce also does bring yeah. to mind i thought he was a little bit unfairly treated you know on his way out of it has a connection to steve nash as well and I think, yeah, we have mentioned his name on, on yep. previous pods in relation to assistant coaching ranks. So names that have been linked to to the organization before, you know, it's whether Steve Nash, you know, what what people does he want around him and yep. how much you know, freedom is he going to be given, you know, in relation to that, you know, names that I've mentioned before, you know, or we've mentioned before, you know, in relation to Rajar Bell, Dirk Nowitzki, uh, those sort of guys. It'll be interesting to see whether Steve Nash wants to draw them in, whether it's Sean Marks being like, nope, we're getting you guys and you're going to have to deal with it or it's a combination of both, I think it's likely to be the latter. But yeah, I think that anything that, it certainly is an area that needs strengthening because the Nets were thoroughly outcoached in, in various points this season, especially in the players where, you know, Ime Udoka and his staff really had their way with Steve Nash, despite what Stan Van Gundy did say, and we'll get to that now a little bit later in the pod also. So it's certainly something to keep an eye on. I don't think it's necessarily something that changes everything. And I did speak about, you know, on yesterday's solo pod about Steve Nash's status within the organization and, and going forward. Now, I guess I'll ask you that, Nick. Um, I said, you know, around Christmas trade deadline is where I think he should be given, if he is, you know, still going to, to be the head coach for the Brooklyn Nets heading into next season, that is the timeline that I give him because you know, there's no vaccine mandates. And again, I'm, re- I'm reiterating points that I did mention. All and uh, hopefully no injuries and everything around then. Is that a, a reasonable timeline from, from my summation? 
Yeah, I think at the end of the day, unless things are really bad and really toxic, they'll give him the entire season because it's so hard to replace a guy, a guy mid-year unless he's doing really horribly. You know, I think in an ideal world, the Nets are having a somewhat successful season. But if they, you know, for whatever reason, are 500, under 500, yeah, then the pressure really comes in. And maybe that's a reason they bring in a specific assistant head coach is because maybe he's like the backup option if they do have to go that firing route. I think majority of especially contending teams or playoff-level teams, you know, depending on what you view the Nets as, it's hard to really drop someone mid-year without kind of ruining your season. We've seen it happen before, you know, and it, it'd be successful with what the Cavs going on their, you know, run to the finals. But again, that's kind of a rare scenario where you already have someone in the wings unless the next McMillan as well with and, and the Hawks as well. We yeah. Spoke about yeah, they had a nice run last year. Yep. So it, it, it has happened. And I think that, you know, it, if you have the, the right pieces in place, ultimately, you know, Steve Nash has upon his hiring preach collaboration, all those sort of things. Kyrie Irving doesn't think we have a head coach, blah, 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 blah. If the those sort of principles are still in place, then I think you need to get the right the right basketball minds, you know, there. Maybe it is a Stan Van Gundy. Maybe it is a a Scott Brooks, you know, former head yep. coach for, for Oklahoma City and, and and Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook in their era. That I would be surprised if there isn't some semblance of overhaul. As I mentioned, you know, on yesterday's pod again, give that a listen, guys. You know, Shams, you know, made reports uh, of that, you know, in the. Again, Nick, you're probably going to have to say this one for me. Pat McAfee, I always say it wrong, uh, his show. But in relation to Stan Van Gundy, Nick, we uh, had a question uh, in relation to that from Greg. Oh, just Good. on the Sean Marks part, Jack, I just want to touch on that. I, I do think Sean Marks is on the hot seat this season, this upcoming season. I don't think he's going to be fired mid-year, similar to Steve Nash. But if it doesn't go well and there's you know, obvious issues with the roster come playoff time, similar to there was this year. Obviously, some of that was out of Sean Mark's control with the whole James Harden thing and the Kyrie Irving stuff. But if the season isn't successful and it feels like the roster isn't in a position where it needs to be, I think Mark's could be gone after next season. I think this season he's safe, though. Yeah, it's weird because I think we saw Jake Fisher in his AMA for Bleacher Report say that Sean Marks is intrinsically linked and, and has pretty strong ties and could be a long-term GM in Brooklyn. Again, I'm not quoting him verbatim but that's what the around the lines of, of what was said so obviously i agree with you i think that we'll probably dive deep into a lot of roster stuff and we'll have for some reason we'll still have so much content for, for you guys and we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Including this question here from Gregu, who asked us our thoughts on, on Van Gundy's tweet. For those that didn't see, um, we we saw Stan Van Gundy actually defend Steve Nash in relation to the adjustments. He said this on Twitter, just because you don't recognize the adjustments the NBA coach you are criticizing is making doesn't mean, quote, he isn't making any adjustments. And sometimes no matter how many adjustments a coach makes, it doesn't change the result because the other team is just better. He got a response uh, from that saying Steve Nash definitely isn't making any adjustments. And then he responded to that saying, change the matchup on Tatum, blitz Tatum, mixed in one, two, two zone, put Durant and Elbow with weak side screening action, flash Brand middle when they load up versus KD, put Irving and Durant high in the slots and shooters in the corner for better spacing. You're right. No adjustments. So look, I, I don't preach to know as, as much as a, a guy like Stan Van Gundy and Steve Nash and, and these sort of guys. I, I have high levels of frustration, you know, with Steve a lot of the time. What, I guess, were your thoughts on, on, on Stan Van Gundy and his responses there? Yeah, I think some of them are just kind of low-level adjustments, um, like adjustments that we have mentioned on the podcast, especially the one with changing the matchup on Jason Tatum. I think that was quite obvious after game one. I think Bruce Brown flashing. I wouldn't even call that an adjustment. I'd almost call that a Bruce adjustment because that's something he's done himself. I think, you know, incorporating the one two two zone, I wouldn't consider that a good thing, considering it didn't work at all and the Nets look terrible doing it, and it's not a defense they've run all season long. Um, but again, I think Van Gundy has a point in the sense of like probably no matter what the Nets did adjustment wise, I'm not sure they were gonna be able to outplay the Celtics given how Kyrie and Katie were playing. Maybe they could have gotten a little bit more creative offensively, but also I think some of my issues with Nash is just the season long coaching and there not being any type of like set standard and just constant level of play. And like, like we talked about in a lot of the recaps, the the defense and the offense guys look confused about knowing where they need to be. And some of that could be on the players, but at the end of the day, it typically reflects the head coach of the guys don't know where they need to be. And some of that too could just be the team having almost 0%, you know, cohesion and chemistry in terms of how many games they play together. But I wasn't, like, wow, like I think after watching some of those games, Nash needed to do something a little bit risky, something a little bit over the edge, maybe that to give the Nets a chance or at least throw the Celtics off from what they were doing. And I don't think anything was really done to that level. I think there was a chance for Nash to have a bigger impact on the series and he didn't. And maybe there maybe his adjustment wouldn't have worked, but I would have liked to see something a little bit more drastic given how unsuccessful some of the things were, especially the simple thing of starting Andre Drummond multiple games. You know, he wasn't good. You know, if he, if Nick Claxton starts quarter three of game two, well, we love Nets, Andre Drummond on the buzz. <laughs> yeah, I guess we do. But if Claxton starts, you know, the second half of game two, the Nets might win that game. And that might be a different series because that was one of the issues is the third quarter runs. And we know the plus minus with Drummond on the floor. Game three as well, I think, is where we saw that happen too, which we were very frustrated about. I think all of Nets Twitter was. So 
I don't discount the the fact that adjustments were made by Steve Nash, as Stan Van Gundy alluded to. A lot of them that I don't totally understand because my basketball now isn't as great as you know you and and former NBA head coaches. But in in saying that, <laughs> it's it, just so funny he used me in a sentence like that. I don't know as much as them either. I just know basic stuff. So. Well, no, you know more than me in, in saying that as well. But it, I, I think that one in-game adjustments is is different, uh, and I don't see Steve Nash doing a lot of them other than you know the zone, which you know made no sense because. One, you go to that if you have it up your sleeve, if you have the cattle, and if you have practiced it. You know, Miami Heat, Toronto Raptors, Charlotte Hornets, Boston Celtics, a, a lot of teams who have done this before in the regular season. And we've and I've, I've credited Steve Nash before in the past for experimenting with lineups and, and experimenting, you know, in different forms of fashion. I, I criticize what is based off, you know, what, what have you done for me lately? A little bit of a revisionist yeah. history thing. But I also criticize based off the fact that what is Steve Nash's identity? What are the principles that he stands for? What is his X's and O's? You look to the the best coaches, even good coaches within the league, even recently fired coaches like James Borrego, and you go, okay, what do they stand for? What are their X's and O's? You know, uh, Nick Nurse is is a guy who just loves to sort of throw things at the window and and, and get a little wild and wacky with it. Um, you know, he, he has a really short rotation and and just going to ride those guys in the ground. Tim Thibodeau, Tom Thibodeau, similar in terms of the sort of rotation things. I don't know what Steve Nash stands for. He's a vibes guy. He sort of, you know, is, is, is sort of, you know, oh, let, let's just play Kevin Durant 47.5 minutes and we'll do the same thing for, for Kyrie Irving. That's his identity. He's sort of like, you know, player centric or whatever. I don't know. And obviously he is an incredible basketball mind given, you know, the success that he has had. But in saying that, you know, sometimes it's a lot tougher being a head coach when you've been a superstar than when you were, you know, one of the, the lesser players like a Steve Kerr, you know, the sort of the bench riders. Even though what we have heard from plenty of people is, you know, Steve Nash's ability to you know, um, have the emotional intelligence to be able to relate to players or whatever. But ultimately, you're a coach, mate. You know, you, your players don't have to love you. You know, you just have to be good at your job. And right now, I don't think he's really good at his job. I, I don't acknowledge the fact that he hasn't tried things. And you know, I probably didn't recognize some of the things that Stan Van Gundy was alluding to. But Steve Nash needs to be better. The, the all, whole entire organization needs to be better. Well, that's support around him, you know, with the right guys. And, you know, it, it just felt like that there was weird things tried this season uh, and not enough at certain points in time. And I do, again, acknowledge, like you alluded to, Nick, you know, the lack of cohesion, the lack of chemistry, the lack of gelling, whatever you want to say about it. But, yeah, I'm sure we'll be having plenty of Steve Nash discussions going forward also. Yeah, I think uh, it's and also it's like a two year stretch where he hasn't really had any type of like consistent roster. So I think that's what kind of puts pressure on him this season. Like, all right, we give you this team. Hopefully everyone's healthy. There's no random absences and you're able to implement how you want to play. And hopefully he's able to get more players that fit his style of play. I'm not sure a ton of the guys they acquired in the last offseason really fit the style that I would envision for Steve Nash, given how he played as a player. And like you said, it's important to really give him some of those extra assistant coaches, some guys with that experience to really put him in position to be successful because, you know, that just might not be his strong suit. You know, his strong suit might be, like you said, Jack, the vibes, the connections with people. But at the end of the day, you you have to be the head coach and you have to have an impact on the game sometime. And I, I want to say a comparison point for Steve Nash, kind of for me, he almost feels like a boss that tries to be too friendly to his 
to his employees rather than kind of hold them accountable. Like we'll say something to them in a joking way rather than kind of just come out and say like, Hey, you need to be better. Obviously we're not there behind the scenes, but that's just kind of the vibe you can get sometimes from the sidelines. We typically see him clapping, you know, when someone makes a mistake instead of being like, Hey, you know, you need to do this better. You know, you look at Ome Udoka, you know, there's just a play that pops to mind. Grant Williams didn't get, didn't contest on a Kyrie layup. He let him know it wasn't like extremely stern, but it was just enough. Like, Hey, you messed up. Yeah, he gives like trying to be cool substitute teacher vibes you know, <laughs> a, a lot. And again, you know, we, we've we're probably too hard on on Steve Nash, and we tried again, try to be objective, as I've been criticized for saying before. But in, in saying that, Nick, you know, we'll we'll our else our, our analysis of him, and and I will say as well in terms of the offensive sort of principles that he stands for. I think ball movement, getting out in transition, are the two things that I do know. But in, in saying that, you know, under my watching Antonio, the Nets, you wouldn't know that all season long, really. No. And I don't know if they have the, you know, the requisite players on their roster to yep. necessarily do that. Um, so whether, you know, I think that there is just a disconnect, you know, within the Nets organization right now. And I think that that's pretty clear to see. And speaking of disconnect, Nick, now we got a couple of questions, both from, who am I going to? From Kay at Kristen34 and from Doug Seltzer5 around Kyrie Irving. And I'll, sort of put them together and, and throw them to you. Is there any chance we can rid ourselves of Kyrie and yet keep KD happy? There is such an overinflation of self-worth in Kyrie. He is a team killer. On the floor, he's overrated too. A lot of Kyrie hate, a lot of Kyrie discourse after... Look, there's a lot of Nets discourse, to be fair, even though you know we get them ratings, as we saw <laughs> quite recently in the news as well. Kyrie Irving, Nick, you know where do you stand with this? Obviously... Some key quotes from from him sort of saying, you know, we're going to manage the organization. I mentioned that. I, don't, I was a bit like, bro, you're going to be there more than like 40% of the time to think that you can manage the organization. Um, I think the uh, context again, of that quote was important too because it, it continued ma- saying management not only with KD, Sean, and uh, Josai, but also he said the family members inside the locker room and the organization. So I think it was put in context to sound a little bit worse. And I was definitely harsh when I heard that quote on the recap as well, like you said. But um, you keep going, Jack. Sorry to cut you off. No, no. And then obviously we got you know Kevin Durant speaking to, to Yahoo Sports and Vincent Goodwill about their general relationship and their friendship uh, and such. So what do you think, Nick? There's a, a zero chance Kyrie Irving isn't on the Nets next year. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, his connection with Kevin Durant is crucial. And also the Nets have no way to replicate the talent in which he can provide as well. There's a lot of uncertainty in terms of what his value is on the market. And if the Nets were, would be able to receive anything in return. And again, given the Nets cap situation, they would essentially have to do some type of sign and trade, but they wouldn't be able to take that type of salary back in a deal like that. So I'm not sure there's really any avenue where the Nets would lose Kyrie Irving and be a better team. Look, it's not going to happen. I think that Kyrie Irving wants to be there. Kevin Durant's allegiances to the organization are in, are in big part given uh, because of the friendship that he has with him in a hypothetical world. Kyrie Irving, you know, how much leeway does he have heading into this season? That's, you know, he's certainly testing that within the organization and has tested it the past three seasons in terms of, you know, the absences that he has had. You know, I'm not going to analyze, you know, COVID stuff and, you know, just general absences and then, you know, injury history. But in just playing basketball, I want him to play more than, you know, 55 games, which is, I think, the max that he has played or around that sort of range. 
know, he played 29 this season. He played 20, I think, his first or, or second year. So it's just Curry needs to play. And, and then I think that there needs to be, you know, can there be an accountability of Kyrie Irving? Is he going to get that super max? You know, are the Nets going to be able to have an incentive-laden contract? Is it a you know a hundred ninety million dollar contract? You know where where does it sort of stand in in relation to that? But Kyrie Irving is going to be a Brooklyn Net, and you know, there's so many takes about you know he's the most overrated player ever and all this sort of thing. But and and then, you know some of his postseason performances, other than that series, you know uh, alongside LeBron James, have left a little bit to be desired. So I think that there needs to be you know Kyrie needs to you know really sort of step up and. and you know, I sort of say, you know, back up the words that he's he's sort of putting out there. Like he he says uh, so many of, of the right things, but then he he goes down the basketball port basketball court and shows a level of apathy and disengagement that is just like, look, that's one thing I won't criticize Kevin Durant about. I I can criticize him for it just he's just inconsistent and, and inefficient play. But he was giving it all. He's all out there, especially game four. Exactly. It didn't seem to me like Kyrie Irving, other than game one. Was giving it his all. Was you know really sort of everything that he's saying, backing it up with his play on the court. So that's what I want to see from Kyrie Irving. You know all these championship habits, these leadership, this family sort of thing. Cool. Do it out there on the basketball court. You that that's what we want you to go out. There. We know you are a, a mercurial, enigmatic superstar, but we want you out there. You know, barring any hopeful uh, injuries and such, and just playing hoops alongside Kevin Durant and proving to the world. That you are as you are as good as you are, and you two are the most skilled duo that we've seen in a very, very long time. But we'll see if it pans out. Yeah, I think, like you said, Jack, being accountable and being on the court. I mean, it's hard to even develop cohesion with Kevin Durant. He really hasn't played a ton of games with him. So, like, he needs to be out there. He needs to play with his teammates, and he needs to have an understanding of where he is on this team. And he, even the quote of saying, like, I want to be part of a great team. Well, I think it's also important for him to play that role on a team. And he did that last year with James Harden. He was willing to, you know, sometimes take a backseat role. And even in a game this year against the Bulls, I think he scored like 12 points with all three of the stars out there. But it's important, too, for him to buy in defensively and not do some of that rogue stuff that we've talked about in the past where he has to play his role and be part of the team. So definitely there's still plenty of issues and he needs to step up and be better in the postseason and be accountable. But at the end of the day, he's still going to be a Brooklyn Net. He is, and uh, but we will obviously be paying attention to, you know, the machinations and the machin- uh, the little X's and O's and yep. I's and T's that uh, have been dotted about that contract and what news we do get uh, around that. That'll be a certainly a Brooklyn buzz that we'll be recording as soon as possible when the news does happen to drop. In more questions that we got around the roster, Nick, uh, via Eli uh, Janias A E L G A N I A S. Uh, is there a big man available, assuming LMA and AD are gone, to um, to pair with Clax, or is Sharp going to be the guy, or do they start over at that position? Nick, thoughts on the big man position for the Nets next year? Yeah, I think LaMarcus probably retires. You know, I think that's pretty likely just given how his body looked towards the end of the year. Andre Drummond, I'd be shocked if he was back with the Nets. Um it doesn't seem likely Blake Griffin will be back at this point, just given how the whole season kind of went for him. I know he was liking some stuff about joining the Clippers on Twitter, um, even though he hates Steam Bomber. Um, and in terms of like clacks, I think that's really a mystery. I'm unsure about what's going to happen with that situation. I, I would love for the Nets to keep, keep clacks, but I also could understand their frustration with some of the issues he's had in the past. 
and you know look to move him in a sign and trade and acquire potentially a draft pick or something like that. I think Sharp will most likely be on the roster, but he's also a contract that could be tradable. So I think it's a big mystery. And they could start completely over at the position, but at the end of the day, I know for a fact they're going to bring in some different bodies in terms of the big department. And we got a list. I know you got some of the similar guys that I have. You know, depending, this could be via trade. This could be, you know, free agent stuff. I think you look at a guy like Miles Turner, he'd still would be a great fit given he can shoot threes and he would fit next to Ben Simmons if Ben Simmons is still here. You know, Mike Muscala, Thad Young, uh, Hartenstein, who the Nets had interest in last year in didn't sign. They saw signed it was Paul awesome. Mill- yeah. awesome for the Clippers. And the Nets signed Paul Millsap over him. If they signed Hardenstein, it could have had a huge impact on the season, especially giving James Harden just another oop option. Uh, Serge Ibaka, I know. Um, Bielitsa, Dwayne Dedman, JaVel McGee, Jeff Green. Um, you know, potentially Bobby Portis, but I think that he would probably be out of the Nets price range. But I think a lot of the the low-level options in terms of free agency, you know, Maybe taxpayer mid-level exception for some of these guys. Also, some of them will be veteran, you know, minimums. But also, you have to look at the trade market as well. I think if you're really trying to upgrade the position, you're going to have to probably use an asset to get, you know, a quality, you know, quality big. Yeah. Look, the only names that you uh, mentioned didn't mention there that I sort of had on my list was you know, Otto Porter Jr. He's been playing a bit of small ball five. Was linked to the Nets, you know, before he signed with Golden State. I also have Marvin Bagley, you know, who's been. Yeah, but is I think he's a restricted free agent. You know, yeah, and Detroit I saw a report that the Pistons plan to re-sign him to a three-year deal, which is early free agent stuff considering it's April twenty-seventh. But yeah, no, <laughs> um, I said like Kevon Looney, Javale McGee. Um, and I think that those were and, and Mo Bamba, you know, because you know who knows what Orlando uh, are going to do. Chris and, Boucher and maybe, too, I think, is another guy. Yeah, and you know, obviously that there's been links with you know Nick Claxton and, and Toronto. You know, a move was was heavily rumored to be on the cards, and you know maybe there is some sort of sign and trade. You know, maybe throw a, a second round pick into the Nets to to give them a bit of value in return. Who who knows? I don't I don't have you know I haven't done my off season prep, but I think doing a sign and trade for the Nets to acquire a, a player is incredibly difficult given their cap situation. Their cap situation is I think worse than last year, which I didn't even know was going to be possible. So. You know, the sign and trade stuff, it seems like it's almost more likely that they'd be able to acquire a pick and then package that potentially with another player on the roster and just kind of a normal trade. But again, they can get creative. They can do some different things. I think it's important to note, too, is, you know, Ben is with the Nets next season. There's a good chance he's playing minutes at the five. There's a good chance he's playing small ball five minutes. And also his skill set is unique. You typically want to have some bigs that can give you a level of rim protection and also shoot threes. That's why a low-level guy like Mike Muscala makes sense. You know, he's not the, a world beater or anything like that, but s- simply someone that you could run with a bench unit with Ben out there and just the ability to shoot threes and space the floor is something that's going to be crucial for this team. We saw how much it hurt them offensively in the series against Boston, considering how well they were able to play last year, just having that stretch five, you know, Blake was supposed to be that guy this year. His three point shot wasn't really there. His level of play wasn't really there, but just the element of Jeff green was so huge for the offense and providing that extra level of spacing and giving you that pass to play a non shooter, like a Bruce Brown who occasionally can knock down a three. Yeah, no, I think that a, a guy like him, you know, we mentioned Otto Porter jr. Mike Muscala, Serge Ibaka in theory, Bielitsa in theory, uh, uh, spaces you know it, it's interesting you know do you do you value spacing do you value 
you know, rim protection. You know, it, it's probably a combination. Can you get both? You know, that's why Miles Turner is such a great option is because you really can get rim protection and three-point shooting, and obviously there's a little bit more to his game. And it's just the the way to get Miles Turner pretty much has to include Joe Harris unless it got really wild out there. Yeah, and look, that'll be something we'll keep an eye on. Miles Turner's probably a name that's going to turn into the new Aaron Gordon on <laughs> the, for Net, Nets fans and, until there is some form of you know, deal or long-term contract for him. Uh, moving on. We'll oh, Jack, get... one more guy. Did we mention Jalen Smith? No, that was a guy that's been rumored, and, and another guy at the Pacers, just because he showed, and because the Pacers do have an influx of bigs given, you know, Joga Bataze and you know our guy Cable Hoops has, has kept us abreast of, of of a lot of paces related stuff. Miles Turner obviously still there, and they did acquire Jalen Smith. That also, you, for those that aren't you know in the know about Jalen Smith, Nick, what is he about? And one important note with Jalen Smith is the Suns before they traded him declined his option, so he's not a restricted free agent. So he's a non-restricted free agent. Uh, Jalen Smith, obviously, very young player, hasn't really played a ton in the NBA, but is a mobile big that has a three-point shot, has shown some glimpses of being a good NBA player, but he wouldn't be solidified to be kind of taking a flyer and hoping a guy could continue to improve, and then maybe by the end of the year you feel confident enough to play him in the playoffs. He really wasn't able to get much time in Phoenix at all. No, I, I'm a fan of his, you know, good athlete as well, and I think that the Nets need those sort of guys and you know that sort of prototype under, you know, Mari Stoudemire, who's done some good job, who's done a decent job with the, with the bigs other than, you know, is free throw shooting, but I think that's more him than, than anything else. We will move on because we, we've got a couple to get to, and we'll probably have to do a second part to this. We've got um, a couple to sort of touch on. Looking, and this one is via, let me quickly open up who it's from. I want to acknowledge everyone who took the time to hit us up. And it's in relation to, you know, revisiting the unfortunate players. It's via Zach at The Good Zach. He asks, looking back after this series, what is the personnel decision the Nets should regret most? Who walked or was traded? Who could have made a difference aside from Harden? Javon Carter. (laughs) No, I mean... You know, Jeff Green was missed, like I kind of alluded to earlier. He wasn't great for Denver this year, but if he does stay in Brooklyn, maybe he's able to perform at that same level, and the Nets are able to kind of even play a little bit better earlier in the season. He gave them that true small ball option, you know, at the five position, but also gave them a real wing to play next to some centers. You know, you could have rolled out a lineup with Nick Claxton, Jeff Green, Kevin Durant, uh, let's say Kyrie Irving and Seth Curry and something like that, and you have more size and Jeff just kind of filled a lot of different roles. And there's no guarantee he would have been able to play the level in which he played last year because that was one of the best of you know, his role-player career type stuff. But uh, I think Jeff, if they got the Jeff from last year this season, it would have been huge. And obviously that would have cost Patty Mills, but in hindsight, if you're able to acquire Seth Curry and Goran Dragic, you don't really have as much concern about not having Patty Mills. Yeah, look, the the other guys that you know spring to mind, but I don't agree would would have had much of an impact on this series. DeAndre Bembry, you know, in, in a version of what sort of Bruce Brown's doing, it's another sort of defender, another athlete, really good cutter. You know, I think that that's what the we spoke about that the Nets missed. You know, a lot of just yep. you know guys just moving around. Obviously, he got he got himself injured in Milwaukee, which was really unfortunate. But you know, and maybe Bruce Brown wouldn't have flourished with DeAndre Bembry there also. Yep. But you know, we were big fans of DeAndre Bembry uh, at. We're pretty upset upon his cutting, but you know, ultimately it was understandable in in some respect. I heard people, you know, speaking about James Johnson as well, just having another big, strong wing guy out there. 
but I'll, I'll, I'll ultimately think that he probably could have done more damage than good, given what we've seen from James Johnson of late. But the the prototype, you know, of what he is makes sort of sense. And I think that in saying that, you know, Kessler Edwards probably should have been playing more. And as you alluded to, Nick, it's a bit of a, a blight on the organization that they didn't develop him better throughout the year and they didn't pay attention to to the focus on him. And, you know, the, the Nets were getting cooked relentlessly with their small lineups with the, with the guards. At the very least, when you have Kessler Edwards, you've got a six eight guy out there who, in theory, can shoot, but in theory, is just big. Like that, there's no theory. He's, he's big, he's athletic. There's no theory about that. He's just a big guy. And when it comes to, you know, he's got four, five, six, seven inches on some of the guys that we've got playing small forward. So maybe that's a not necessarily a personnel decision, but a sort of roster construction or, or roster rotation sort of decision that could have been made an impact. Again, I don't think any of these things other than Jeff Green would have had a massive impact on the series, but worth acknowledging. Yeah, I think the biggest regret is probably not trying to acquire a wing at the deadline. You know, just a a, a basic two-way wing, not even somebody who's great, just a guy that you could bring in at a cheap price to just give you an option, like a low-level 3 and D guy with just the correct body type so you're not getting so, so physically outmatched in a playoff series. And other than that, I mean... Maybe I could hear bringing TLC back, but he was really bad for the Nets and didn't play in the postseason. Wow. TLC or Mike James, Nick? Who would you want back more? TLC. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just the body type and like, yeah, he fouls very uh, fouls a lot, but he could have that one game where he knocks down five threes in a corner or something like that. Not to say that I'm advocating for TLC, but just a thought. Definitely. Look, unless you have any final thoughts, Nick, the bell is about to go here on my lunch break. Again, recording on the lunch break because love doing these buzzes with you at any time and appreciate you staying up to record with me. But we will get to, you know, the two, three, four other questions in part two of the mailbag, either sometime at the, over the weekend, if not early next week for you guys. Yeah, uh, no other thoughts, obviously. There's still a lot of stuff going on. Nets Twitter hasn't calmed down <laughs> with all of their takes and off-season acquisitions. It, it's almost incredible how much research has already been done by a lot of guys. But, Jack, like you said, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.